Welcome to the U Triumph podcast, where we explore the triumphs and tribulations of extraordinary leaders from diverse backgrounds. I'm your host, Trevor Sterling, and across the podcast, I hope to inspire success by highlighting that irrespective of social background or personal characteristics, with fair opportunity and the appropriate mindset, ultimately anyone can be successful. From incredible achievements to key life lessons learned, the goal is to shed insights into the mindset, motivations, and stories behind the success. Because you triumph if you believe. Welcome to this You Triumph Breakthrough Series podcast. One of the joys of uh, engaging in these podcasts is I get to speak to some incredibly inspirational people. What we're trying to show is that with fair opportunity and the appropriate mindset, you can break through, irrespective of your background or of personal characteristics. What is the situation if there are a a varying uh, amount of different, different characteristics? That can be really challenging. What if you're a woman? What if you're a person of color? What if you come from a working class background? How is it possible to then achieve in one of the more traditional professions? Well, we're going to find out. And today I am delighted to speak to Amadeep Kazria, a partner at Morbalo. So Amadeep, welcome. Thanks, Trevor. You know what? I never get tired of hearing that and it always still makes me smile. So thank you for that introduction. Well, it's fantastic to speak to you. As I was saying there in the, in the opening, um, we, you know, I, I do a lot of work in the um, DNI space, and I know you do too. Um, but I come to it really as somebody who is obviously black uh, and has come from very much a working class background. Uh, I didn't go to university, and I was very fortunate to enter the legal profession. And I've been fortunate to go on to become the first black senior partner um, at Morbalo. However, for some, they face uh, challenges, um, but different. And so I'm really interested in your story because, of course, you are a woman who's gone on to do um, great things. You're of uh, Indian background, and I know that you're from a working class um, background as well. So the intersectionality aspect really comes into plan. I really want to explore how it is that you've managed to break through. So we're going to climb a ladder and we're going to start with the top rung of the ladder which is where you are now, what success uh, looks like, what you've achieved. Then we're going to go to the bottom of the ladder, the first rung, how did you get started? And then the middle of the ladder we're going to explore some of the the challenges and obstacles that you've had to overcome. So top of the rung of top rung of the ladder, we're there, we're not scared of heights so we're going to be not at all modest, we're going to (laughs) <laughs> what success looks like, you know, what, what have you achieved? So can, can you share that with us, Andy? Thanks, Trevor. It has been quite a whirlwind and sometimes I sit back, I reflect. I'm in my late 30s, going to have a big birthday next year and I kind of think, 
Wow, you know, I've ticked off quite a few um, amazing personal milestones. Um, currently a partner at Morbalo, a top 100 law firm, um, specialising in major trauma cases. And I love the work I do. I love helping clients who have suffered really serious injuries. Um, and in addition to that, and I've been at Morbalo for eight years, um, and I joined as a solicitor. So that progression has really come with my time at the firm and putting, I think, lots of energy into everything I do with the firm. And it's great to have that kind of payback now. It's lovely. Um, I also sit as a committee member on the Women's Solicitors Network at the Law Society, where I'm also vice chair. Um, and that's a position I've held for four years. And I really enjoy my time with the Law Society. I've previously been a council member at the Law Society, representing women solicitors, the largest membership of the Law Society. And recently I was recognised as Brummel Magazine's top 30 London female trailblazers. I'm part of the Involve Hero Women's List for 2020 and 21 as a future leader. And in 2021, um, I was highly commended for being Women Solicitor of the Year with the Law Society Excellence Awards. And um, I just, I can't say no. I can't, keep, I can't say no to the opportunities. It's hard. It's a juggle. But I put myself forward. I push myself wherever I can. And people sometimes say to me, Trevor, you know, where do you find the time? Or how do you, you know, how do you juggle it all? I've got, I've got two young children, um, a boy who's seven and a girl who's nearly three. And I say, I, I don't think it's a choice. I feel I'm duty bound. I'm obligated to give back. There's, there's, there's no complacency with the work that we're doing around women in law, women in leadership and diversity and inclusion. Yes, I mean, you, you've sat on quite a few of the Law Society roundtables. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, different as well, because I think one of them was on uh, DNI. Um, yes. You found one for, in respect to social uh, mobility um, as well and, and women in leadership. You've just said that you can't, you can't help yourself, but... There's something that, that drives you, that you feel a need to be in these visible positions and, and being able to make a difference. Can you just tell us a, a bit more about, perhaps in each of the different areas, if there are different reasons, why it's important for you to be visible? Absolutely. I think for me, growing um, through this profession, growing up as an Indian woman, being a child to immigrant parents, I didn't have those role models there wasn't access to those spaces in the same way. So whenever I see a roundtable or a meaningful discussion to help advance and really turn the dial on these conversations about DNI, gender equality, diversity and inclusion, I really want to be the voice in the room. I want to be... Some, not all people feel confident to have those discussions. Not all people feel empowered through their work or through their life or circumstance. But if I feel that I can be that voice and help to share um, through my lens, my journey, I think that's hugely important, whether it's in respect of well-being, which I've done lots of work with on the Law Society, menopause, something that doesn't impact me now but I can I can talk about it because I want the workplace to be a better environment and it's something I will go through every woman will go through that so it's important for me to really represent marginalized groups of any of any background I've I've managed to do work around 
disability, neurodiversity I've spoken on, and any event, any panel, any roundtable, I will try to make myself available, either through um, an article, an educational piece, or bringing the learning back to where I work, because I think that's really important. Um, I can do all this wonderful work, but if I am able to be at the cutting edge of some of the great best practice out there, let's bring it back, let's make some change in the workplace. So, so there are about, um, about 15,000 uh, partners um, in, in, this, in this country right now, England and Wales, um, of which uh, there's probably only 90, about 90 that are black, uh, and of which it took until 2021 for there to be uh, a black senior partner, which you know, I'm privileged to say that that's me. What, what, what's the, can you give us a snapshot of what, what it's like at the moment for women, uh, yeah. And then your perspective in terms of race. Yep. Um, South Asian women are the least represented at partnership level, constituting for only 1.5% of current partners in partnerships. Um, they are compared to 5.5% of South Asian men and about 20% of white women. Um, so there are small trickling numbers going up to partnership. I think, the, I think the entry level is very healthy. The numbers are much better. We know that people from South Asian backgrounds do tend to perform academically quite well and can enter some of the tougher professions. But, you know, my, my passion has always been about seeing those women stay, seeing those women progress and ultimately be around that partnership table where they should enjoy the, um, the recognition the financial reward and the opportunity to lead a business. Um, what do you think it is in the traditional um, law setting that, that acts as a barrier? Um, because because you, you've, you've obviously navigated it successfully um, and you've got a, a clear view on, on the barriers because of your work at the law side. Mm -hmm. you know, what, what would you say are the key barriers to progress? I think um, if, if we look at the report prepared by Christina Blacklaw's a past president, she did the largest ever survey on this issue. And the 52% the of, the, of the respondents said it was something called unconscious bias, where we are unconsciously wired and geared up to have some biases in place. And some of those are good because they're protective, um, but some of those are damaging and can, and can mean that we are stopping uh, more diversity and inclusion in the workplace. I think unconscious bias is part of it. I think from my experience, I've actually seen that parenthood when it's time at that at that kind of just as you're getting to be quite an experienced associate in the workplace your early 30s where you might consider more chunkier bigger tasks bigger cases you kind of say to them I'm off I'm off for the I'm off for at least you know a period of time and it's really jarring for women and I think when you come back sometimes people can practice a false sense of kindness they can think she's just come back so maybe she doesn't want this big project or she won't want to work late even though that, that project could then lead to the ultimate proposed you know promotion and be the baseline for all the brilliant things in the pipeline but there's this sense of kindness that women don't really welcome sometimes and i think there's still the issue with flexible working and really getting 
really getting on top of that and making sure that women aren't penalised when they're not physically there. They're still working, borrowing away in the background, but because they can't physically be there, I think there is somewhat a penalty in the legal profession. It's really difficult. And what, and what about, because, you know, I, I've been now in the profession for, believe it or not, 40 years. Um, <laughs> and and, and uh, earlier on in my career, I hope says 10 years in, um, I had a sabbatical. So it was only uh, for about two months, so two months out. During that period, one of the fears that I had was I was leaving my work behind and someone was going to have to cover it. And so um, it made me really, really nervous and anxious. So just tell us a bit, what is it like when you know you're planning for uh, maternity leave and then that period where you're off where you know that somebody else is perhaps looking after your, your work? How does that how does that impact on your confidence? And, and the, how do you rebuild your confidence to be able to come back? I think it's a really good question, Trevor, because I've been through this twice now in a workplace, in a private practice, in a very busy legal environment. And the first time around, everything was new. And I thought, I'm just going to take it really easy. Um, and I, I had a really good break. I was able to properly switch off. And maybe because I was more junior in my career as well and everything was new, but I did lose a lot of confidence. And you, everything, everything about you is different. You, clothes may fit you differently. Your body changes. You have this huge responsibility of keeping a little human alive. And then you think, you think, I can't manage this when I'm at home with the baby. How am I going to do it alongside a really demanding job, but a job that I love? And I don't want to fall out of that pipeline with that job. So it, it's incredibly tough, Trevor, mentally, physically. And the main thing that anybody can do in that position, particularly employers, is be as supportive as possible. And, you know, really check with the individual what their, you know, what their communication style is like during that maternity leave period do they want to be left alone that's fine do they want regular touch points with somebody from HR or a colleague do they want catch-ups do they want to be kept up to date with stuff and I think I think we should be able to tailor those returns and tailor that maternity leave so we don't see confidence dropping to an all-time no because the return is really hard and the reason why I spoke about the first pregnancy and return was because it was completely different to my daughter Having had my son, I thought to myself, do you know what, I've got this, my second return, I know exactly how this is going to go, there'll be a bedding in period, but you know what, I don't need to speak to anybody, I don't need any mentoring, I'm fine. It took me three, three to four months after I came back with my second child to properly feel back in the groove again and back in the flow, and I thought gosh, I've really underestimated that, I should have leaned out for more support, and I should have maybe sort you know kind of sought out a mentor perhaps to help with my return or just just been kinder to myself I'm always the feedback with me I I always try to run before I can walk and sometimes I kind of go back and I want to be back to my usual standard and the kind of same returns but life isn't like that and I think sometimes we just need to be kinder to ourselves and slow down a little bit. But it's it's very challenging, Trevor. I cannot underestimate how difficult it is, even the second time round. And how do you feel, so that there are now probably an equal number of women in the profession, although yeah. not at a leadership level. Whereas I'm often in, the, in a room where I'm the only black person 
Um, and, and that can be quite isolating because what I've found is that uh, it was my, my responsibility, it felt, that I had to adapt uh, to those around me from completely different backgrounds. And they didn't always feel a sense of responsibility to learn about yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and so it's what I call the comedian effect, where you have to sort of change to blend in. And that yeah. can be quite exhausting. So you mentioned before, you know, your, your Sikh. Uh, how has that, uh, how significant has that been in terms of you trying to find your identity or, or how difficult has it been? Well, sometimes it's quite jarring, Trevor, because we're raised, you know, being a, being an Indian background, Indian culture, we're raised by our parents to be very, um, you know, Yes, we're raised to be yes people, essentially. You know, very um, kind of low profile within society, be perfect homemakers. You know, we're raised to really respect um, family elders, you know, family members, um, really be homemakers, be, be the people in the home that it does a lot of those gender stereotype roles that we can find ourselves entrenched in. And I think South Asian women do fall victim to that and I think it does hold us back when it comes to then also pushing yourself and being this larger profile in the workplace and um, being somebody who is louder perhaps in the workplace and is driven and is ambitious it's it creates a huge conflict and there are so many of my so many people like me Trevor who are second generation first time university goers Indian women who say to me, do you know what, Ams, I've got, I've got here, I'm now a doctor or a dentist or whatever, but gosh, has it been hard? And, you know, it didn't really, it really conflicted with how I was raised to be when my, you know, when my mum was raising me and some of the things that we were taught to do or said it's the right thing to do. So I think, you know, not all of it falls at the, at the, at the door of the workplace. Some of, we have to correct some really harmful gender stereotypes and gender norms um, and make sure that we're changing them. So you're trying to break the barriers at home. Yes. And then in the workplace, you've got yep. you know, the glass ceiling and the barriers in place. You kind of get caught somewhere in the middle. And you've it's got to try and break that gap. It's exhausting. It's, re it's really exhausting because, you know, on one hand, we are taught to be very, you know, really always respect our elders. But in the workplace, people that are sometimes older than you may have a different view to you. <laughs> and it's really then hard to be like, oh, but... But, you know, I've really been taught to respect my elders. And it's really hard to put yourself forward sometimes. And, you know, then we're, then we're it's kind of drilled in, at least for my generation. It's going, it's going, it's going to change. But we're, it's really drilled in to be quite perfect homemakers as well and be perfect daughter-in-laws. And I found that really difficult because I came from quite a matriarchal household. My mum raised the children. And when I got married... I joined a very patriarchal household where my husband's father was the ultimate decision maker, called all the shots. And I got married quite young. I was 24. And I found it really difficult because nobody made those decisions for us in my house. We did. The women did. Um, so I actually think, I actually think I've, 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 been able to, I've been able to overcome a lot of those boundaries or restrictions in respect to gender because I grew up with quite a strong woman-led household there is a difficulty isn't it that people often group all the ethnic communities together so yeah. uh, you know if, if you're a person of color then you're just one group 
and they don't yeah. realize that the differences yeah. even if, if black is the difference if you're of African heritage rather than Caribbean heritage and that's the same if you're if you're of Asian background there are all these nuances um, yeah. that, that are quite challenging because then we find ourselves in, in a world which is you know very much sort of one-dimensional in many ways it's, it's improving yeah. and changing yeah. and we're trying to navigate through that but we can't lean on our families and so because they don't have those experiences or, or, or the skills. So in, in your case, I think your father came here when he was 13 yeah, and your mother went he was 13. Yeah, my, my, my dad came here um, when he was 13. And look, he did secondary school, but I don't think he liked it. And the favourite thing about school for him was the English food and the puddings. And he always loved a roast dinner. <laughs> He's got nostalgic memories of school. But you know, he does talk about racism, Trevor. He went to school in Acton in and around Greater London. And, you know, he, he says, you know, racism was really difficult uh, for, 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 for that generation of people. And as we know, it continues. Now, my mum came here when she was 20 and she had, my, she had me and my sister very quickly. So she came here when she was 20. She had my sister at 21 and me at 22. And there's only a year apart. Um, so she's just older by one year. So they had a tough time. You know, my mum found herself in a country, a language she didn't speak, with no family, and, you know, my dad, who was uh, quite, you know, he, you know, he, he liked going out. He was a boy himself. He was, you know, 25, 26, but definitely not ready to get married. <laughs> and um, they had a really tough time. I mean, I saw, I, I never saw a happy marriage. You know, I, I, I saw um, the very dark side of, the, of, of that period in time where lots of women from India came over and they married men here, settled men, um, because, you know, in the hope of a better life, right, Trevor? And it was really hard for them. They had no networks, no family, no friends, um, and they were relying solely on these husbands who they had no connection with because they were often arranged marriages. I think my mum saw my dad twice before the wedding and they were, it was always around other people. Wow. And they it's crazy. Language as well, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's it's fascinating hearing that because you were saying that she, she had a uh, an unhappy um, yeah. childhood. Would you say? Uh, and, I would say, yeah, yeah, Trevor. It was it was interesting because because for so long as a child you don't know any different. So for a long time as a child, I had my sister who's my best friend, and my mum. My mum's a great cook, so she was always able to be a really good homemaker so at home you know before you get to kind of I suppose 9 10 where you start awakening a bit more you know I thought I was I thought we were fine I thought this is this is this is normal and I didn't know any different it was only kind of year five year six at school when I realized I'm queuing up for a separate meal ticket here a yellow ticket and you learn to budget from a really young age because the ticket's only to a certain value. So I was one of the kids receiving free school meals. So you start noticing those differences. And I was, I was, I was happy in that my mum showered us with so much love. And I had, I had the shelter of my older sister, you see, who, who, who was a real trailblazer in her own right. Straight A student, didn't speak a word of English when she went to school in year one, Trevor, because we didn't speak English at home. My mum didn't speak English, and when they spoke to each other, they spoke in Punjabi. So my sister learned English when she went to year one. 
in primary school and she she's done absolutely amazing and I think she really set the benchmark because if she could do it from my family and my house and those circumstances there's no reason why I couldn't do it um but she was quite a natural academic where she would instantly selected for clubs and special projects like the top 10% club for example um i would have to work that bit harder so i think she's she's very naturally academic she's a barrister now um but i think she set the bar for us and that and that really paved the way for me and my brother so 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 it's fascinating because um ambitions are funny thing because some people uh they talk about people who are ambitious and they see sometimes the product of their ambition uh, and then rather than understanding what has made them ambitious um they can sometimes say well you know your trevor's always out there or ams is always out there you know but they but they don't understand why and it's because of the struggles and the trauma that we've been through that we we want the best for our families and we want the best for ourselves and we also in some cases want to prove our our parents wrong that if if they didn't believe we were on the right path it's yes. important so so the drivers for uh, people um like us from those ethnic communities is actually um that we have we carry these scars on our back and we don't want those that come after us to carry them and one of the interesting things which i think you will have shared shared with me as an experience you know most of the people around me are from in law or from traditional settings i never knew grandparents yeah. my parents came here similar to yourself when they were very young so i never knew grandparents i didn't have that extra layer of of learning that i could i could get yeah. and was very much making it up as i went along and i guess that's the same for you the, the traditional family is not the yes. extended family in the way that many would see it that that are born here yeah i think that's right trevor and you know i you know while we've always lived with my dad my mum raised us very much as a solo parent for all intents and purposes and my dad has suffered with he's my dad passed away recently but he suffered uh, from addiction for many as long as i can remember he suffered from addiction and you know i was really young and we used to drive him to to have rehab at ealing hospital and um he's had he had about 10 stints you know and that was really it was an emotional roller coaster because if you live with somebody who's got addiction you're constantly checking the mood you're worried about celebrations or you're worried about alcohol and you're living on the edge trevor because you're always thinking is when is he going to fall off the wagon again but what you do learn to do is you do learn to enjoy life in the moment and i can say that we did that as a family because in the periods my dad was sober we we went on holidays we went out we we had loads of fun we and we've learned as a family we're a small family but to celebrate all the small wins along the way it's not just the titles the destination the jobs it's really our journey in supporting each other to make those small steps to get to the big titles and the big wins so i think we've learned to do that really well So tell me then, you know, a, a difficult childhood. Um, so that's the the bottom rung. We start with the top rung. Look what you've yeah. managed to achieve. Yeah. What What is it on in the middle rung? That that process. 
yeah. how were you able to to develop the confidence that you have, um, even if it's only external? Because we deep down inside, you know, I, I still suffer from imposter syndrome to some extent. <laughs> but there's something that we have to do to be able to program ourselves to speak, whether it be in the media, whether it be in written form, whether it be to an audience of 200 or two or 300 people. How have you managed to, to find that confidence to do that? I think I, I think I learnt very early on that setbacks or me being different or me having perhaps disadvantages, um, I just made a decision. It's just not going to hold me back. And I was desperate to climb out of it. I had to. I had to because of the the shoulders of giants that we were standing on, the sacrifice that I had seen, to me, it, I didn't have a choice. I was programmed to only go in one direction and go as quickly as I could. And there is a huge pressure, generational pressure, to get there as quickly as you can. So you can give back in terms of whether it's financial support or whether it's just to simply make your parents proud. So I'm in this race and I'm like, how can I get there as quickly as I can? And you've had to bear the brunt of that, Trevor, being my line manager for so many years. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, um, you know, it's something that I just... I had my sister who who's who's brilliant. She she you know she was somebody else who was guiding me. But other than that, there were no role models that I knew, no mentors that I knew. We didn't know a lawyer, didn't know any lawyers. Um, so it was just something that I was committed to understanding the pathway. And um, there were failures along the way. You know, when you when you finish university, you plow all that money into the legal practice course. And then nobody wants to train you. And then it's just crickets. And you're like, I have done this for a good reason. And um, I, it, took me, it took me three years working as a paralegal, which isn't, which isn't uncommon, but it just wasn't a route I understood either. It took me three years working as a paralegal in serious injury, which I was lucky to do, finally qualified. Um, and then the admission ceremony was one of my proudest, greatest moments because my parents could both attend that. And I did it alongside my sister who qualified kind of six months after me or something. So we both got to go down. So there was just this grit and resilience, Trevor, from having a tough start at things, knowing that having seen for about the good part of 20 years, we're talking uni time now, where no one's opening doors here. Okay, There's no knight in shining armour at all I had to I had to climb out I had to do it um, and I had to do it through kind of networking hustling just continuing to build my contacts continuing to you know learn learn an area of law which I loved I was really passionate about so I was lucky to be thrown into that straight away because it's about people it's about humans and I get that and I get people I couldn't have seen myself do any other area of law or particularly something which is a little bit more contract commercial based because the human side of it is something that just makes sense to me and I'm able to understand it and um, there were some setbacks in terms of the timing and the training and the contracts and you know perhaps other failures along the way where you think oh I haven't quite got to where I thought I would be in my career or um, sometimes losing confidence during my maternity leaves which I did um, uh, or, or not getting some appointments when I thought I might get them. An example is the Women's Listers Network. I applied to them in 2018, Trevor, and I didn't even get an interview. <laughs> okay. They had 
They had 100 applications and I wasn't even shortlisted for an interview. And now I'm vice chair, soon to be chair. And you kind of think, well, how did that happen? And I, you know, I can talk you through what, what I did to kind of turn things around. You know, the feedback to me was you haven't got enough really experience of you on projects in respect of women. But I was really passionate about this subject and I really knew I had a lot to give. So, But nobody had invited me to speak on a panel, Trevor. Nobody had invited me to write an article. But I thought, I don't care. I'll organise my own women in law event. And um, we did that with the set of chambers, if you remember, Trevor. You did the opening and, you know, we worked with the barristers. And it was a collaboration between our firm and the chambers. And we gave a brilliant presentation about women in law, the 100 years, the barriers, some of the issues, uh, some of the progress. So I just cre I created my own. The first panel I spoke on was my own event. But then it's something that I could write about. I could write about it with integrity and authenticity because I had I had done it and I'd put on this event. Not only had I spoken at it, I produced it. I had created the event, gone to marketing, created all the literature, you know, gone to the mailing lists and bring these people together. And that was my first kind of go at producing something like that. But I haven't stopped, have I? I mean, I'm always doing no, some kind the, of event. There's, there's, a, there's an interesting lesson in that, which is that, you know, and I'm, I'm really keen to do this. I've learned this myself because I've had to find my own way. And a lot of people yeah. misunderstood me, um, but I've had to find my own way. And, that, and that's what you're saying there. And the way I see that is it's a bit like going into the back garden when it's, when it's snowed and there's fresh snow and there's a, a set of footprints that take you a certain way. And, you know, you, you want to go walk along that, those footprints because that's the safe route, but you're not allowed to. And then you've got to be able to make your own footprints in the snow. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what you did there. You know, you created your own uh, event, et cetera, et cetera. You didn't say, I'm just going to stop here. You said, yeah. okay, I'll create my own footprint. And that's so important. Yeah. And I don't think people realize how much courage that then takes because you're putting yourself out there. So on that, how have you felt in terms of um, support from other women? I think I haven't personally, and I don't, I mean, I'm sure I need some kind of own therapy and counselling on this, but I haven't myself, Trevor, ever sought out a mentor. So I've had the, I've, I've, been, I've been lucky enough to um, have very strong people guiding me, um, not to embarrass you, but yourself being one of them. And I've been lucky enough to be placed in, in that environment where I can have really meaningful discussions about mentoring type but not formal but I've never sought out a female role model or a mentor or someone to guide me through it because I feel bad for taking up their time or I feel like I don't want to be someone else's problem or burden and and I just I feel embarrassed and and there's there's still a lot of shame that I carry and I don't use that word lightly there is there is a lot of shame I carry about my childhood and I can't talk about things in, in, in a lot of spaces. And this is actually the first time I'm, I'm being even as open as, 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 as that. But for a long time, I couldn't talk about, I didn't go to a Russell Group University, Trevor. I went through clearing and I ended up at Keele University because I didn't get the A-level grades because I, I worked part-time ever since I was 15. You know, as soon as I got my national insurance number, I was like, oh, I can work, I can make money. 
And I supported myself through um, college. I pretty much self-funded my time at university. But it did come at a cost because I wasn't spending all of the time as a full-time student. You know, and that, and it stays with you because I wasn't then scooped up by one of these firms offering to pay for my LPC or kind of train me as quickly as other students perhaps. But how do I open up to somebody who I really respect and talk about some of my challenges when they may judge me for not being that brilliant? I don't know. I, I, that's, that's I, a really um, interesting point around social mobility, I think. Because if, and you and I do this now, we don't wait for people to, to approach us. Yeah. We identify that there may be a difference and therefore it's our responsibility to get them to feel that they can open up and be their authentic selves. Yeah. But it can't fall on us as leaders to be the only ones that do that. We need yeah. everybody, no matter what your background, to recognise that those that are coming from particularly lower socioeconomic groups, they need, they need somebody to give them the confidence to open up. Because yeah. I, I wasn't filled with confidence when I was starting out. In fact, solicitors scared the life out of me, let alone me going and asking to help and tell yeah. them about my own background experiences. Yeah. And, that, and that's you feel because you are somebody that now reaches down to pull people up up the ladder, and that's an important part of your value system, is it? Yeah, definitely. And having, um, I think, authenticity about what you said about being being able to be your authentic self. Um, really sharing fully about your lens and your lived experience is incredibly important because not only are we saying it's okay, it's totally inclusive, it's accepting. We can celebrate lots of different people, lots of backgrounds, but we're making space. We're making space for the next generation of people who may have those fears, who may have those doubts that I did, and I wasn't able to speak to people about it. But I think, um, you know, I I think sometimes you don't give yourself enough credit, Trevor, for the environment that you've created. And you probably hate me for saying this, but, you know, you, you know, you're, you're the only person I've worked with that has said diversity and inclusion is not a nice to have, but it's a must have. And you have shown me that you can be an excellent lawyer, a star in your industry and still be this amazing diversity and inclusion campaigner. And it's not at the sacrifice of you being a brilliant lawyer. Because I think that's what some law firms fear or workplaces fear. They think time away from your craft or from billing or from cases may impact you. But you've, you've, you've set the benchmark and said, look at me, look at where I am. It's not affected my craft, but I'm still going to go to the community, speak to people from different backgrounds and make the uh, whole profession more diverse. And you've created that space for us because it means people like me can do it, people like I can do it without having any kind of repercussion from my workplace. Well, I mean, thank you. And I think there's a value that we share, which is why it's important for me to do that and which is why it's important for you to do that as well. Because we're, we're in uh, a caring uh, profession. We, uh, particularly as major trauma lawyers, we, we deeply care about our clients. We care about other people. And um, one of the things that I've recognised is that our lived experience, yeah. whether it be exposure to racism and all the other things that go along with that, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. It, it causes personal pain and personal trauma. Yeah. And therefore, I don't want anybody else to go through that. I've got to try yeah. and free them from that. And I think you're the same. 
We, we yeah. want people to be their authentic selves because when they're not allowed to be, when they're exposed to what we can be exposed to be from whatever ethnic community, from whatever uh, social background, it hurts. Yeah. And over time, it wears you down. So actually, one of the upsides uh, from it is having been able to, uh, to act upon that mindset, I am now surrounded by a very diverse team. Yeah. And we are a high-performing team as a result because we feel comfortable being ourselves, not being clones, but actually being real. And yeah. that hurt we've turned into fuel, which makes us want to be the best uh, yeah. that we can be. And I think the interesting thing about you, Amadeep, which makes me incredibly proud, <laughs> is that you've proven that to be the case. You know, you've proven to be the case based on your own merit. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. Can I just ask you, there's two things, two last things, really. What is it to be a mother? successful in your work and going home and being a mother what, what does that mean to you I mean I'll try to answer this being really serious Trevor because you and I often talk about what it's like to be parents <laughs> um and um, you, you've seen my surly carpools you know <laughs> well this is it this is it and we can I I love that I can be very honest with you about having children because and I was wondering whether how to bring this up in the podcast because I want to be authentic in that I really wanted to have kids. Ever since day dot, I really wanted to be this caring, warm, lovely, kind of earth, earth mother. I don't know what that means, but I wanted to be this kind of warm mother. And actually, now that I've had kids, I love them. They mean everything to me. But I find, I find it, I find that I need the balance. I very much love my time in the workplace. I value my time away from my children as much as I value it with my children. And I, it really surprised me. My friends would say to me, what, why, why does that surprise you, Ams? You've always been really ambitious. And, you know, you know, your work's meant so much to you. But it does surprise me that I'm not this kind of like, you know, you see some mums who are so diehard and they, you know, credit to them, no judgment. But I'm not one of those enveloping kind of, constantly with my kids love my kid I, I mean I'm critical when I need to be and I can have these really open authentic conversations about how tough motherhood is and how sometimes you just want to watch tv and netflix and have a nice meal without being interrupted um but I am um, I feel incredibly proud of where I've managed to have my kids the time that I've had them the learning curve for me the learning curve in my career the learning that I've done as a mum as being married as well because your relationship changes with your husband so I love them to bits but I have surprised myself in the way that I can be brutally honest about how difficult everything is as well yeah you know I, I, I relate to that because I, I do a lot of uh, different things you can imagine and actually um you know, I joke about it in the in the Sterling carpools because you can see I'm a I'm a grumpy dad, and that's quite uh, sort of deliberate. Because, but but I am doing the the, the school run. That's the idea, yeah. you know. But but it but it it is conflicting, and the way I resolve that, my mind being someone who's so busy, um, is that I'm busy not doing a job. So um, it, it's a way of life. What I do yeah. uh, as a as a lawyer and all the community things. 
is a way of life. It's not a job. And the difference it can make is to create a better community. Yeah. And that's incredibly important because guess what? Our kids have to live in that community. Absolutely. And if we don't improve community, then they're going to end up in a community and end up feeling how we felt. So yeah. in a way, you're, you're creating that environment for your kids and also a role model, which yeah. says, you know, you work hard and do all of those things. But you're teaching them to do the right things. It's good yeah. to be out there building and developing and improving society and community. So, uh, and, and, and it's great that you've actually been able to experience both those things. It's, it's wonderful yeah. being yeah. a mother yeah. as I am a father and trying to change community. So family aside, yeah. if there was one thing that you were the most proud of, you know, that pinch myself moment, what, what would you think that, that would be? I think, um, I mean, definitely becoming, being promoted to partner at Morbalo at a top 100 law firm is, is pretty wild. It is. It is. Given where I started, I mean, there's so many kids I went to school with that didn't even go to university. You know, didn't really do any higher education beyond GCSEs. So I feel really proud, incredibly proud of that. It's a tough process. In private practice, it is tough. And then I think the other thing that I'm quite proud of is um, speaking recently this summer, just this summer, at the House of Lords and being a panel member speaking on the challenges, specific challenges that South Asian women have in the legal profession and being asked by Sarah Bashir Khan um, to do that. Um, and I felt so honoured. I was alongside the current president, just past President Lubna Shuja doing that. And I thought, and there was a room full of amazing women, all, all great achievers in their own right. And I'm sat there and I'm the one delivering responses to these, you know, wonderful questions about how to turn the dial and what we can do about recognition and promotion and profile. And I'm thinking, do I, you know, you get that imposter, don't you? You think, do I deserve to be here? There are so many other women in this room that could do this, but I don't let the inner critic stay with me for too long. I can't because it will be engulfing. So what I do is I go, but you know what? I am here and I'm going to, and I'm going to tell them everything I, I know and I've learned in a really passionate way, because I am passionate about these topics, uh, and I'm going to do it in a way that may inspire change. So that's brilliant. So here's the, the final, the final question: um, If you could give some advice to to somebody uh, who's come from a certain social background, uh, who's a, a woman from uh, an ethnic community. Um, that would help them to break through? What, what, what advice would you, would you give them? I think the strongest piece of advice I can give is don't let your title define you or stop you. So don't wait to become uh, an associate or a senior associate or a partner or whichever profession you're in. Don't wait for it. There's no magic behind that. There's recognition. 
and there's more work, but there's no magic. The magic comes from the baby steps, the progress that you make in between. And what does that look like? Don't wait for a title to think you can mentor or give back or seek mentoring. Um, don't wait for a title to think you, oh, I can only do that perhaps when I'm a partner level. I can only organize that event or look to get these people in a room. Who would they think I am? Don't have, don't start off by being your own inner critic because if you start with that, it's going to be a very long climb to the top. Yeah, so each rung on the ladder is meaningful and you can make a meaningful. difference from it. And Celebrate the small what, wins. Celebrate them. What you have shown us, Ams, is that if given a fair opportunity and with the appropriate mindset, you can achieve. And, you know, you've demonstrated that you do triumph if you believe. And I want to I want to thank you for taking the time today to speak with me. You will have and do and will in the future inspired so many people and everything that's happened in your background uh, from your experiences has made you a tremendous tremendous inspiration so thank you for going through that but thank you for being the ladder abs thank you so much thank you trevor thank you for creating the space to have conversations like this Thank you for joining us for the You Triumph podcast. I've been your host, Trevor Sterling, and this has been a journey of triumphs and the mindset that makes them possible. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and leave a review. Your support helps others discover the show and the valuable insights shared. Join us next time as we continue to unravel the stories and strategies for succeeding in life. Remember, you triumph if you believe. And if you've achieved, one must not aspire simply to climb the ladder, but to be the ladder.